The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Hello, wonderful wa- Stop, okay. Hello, wonderful writers. This is Kristen, your host for the Expensive Words Podcast. Welcome to episode three, where we're going to talk about the two types of grammar advice. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because when you're learning to write, you go searching in the world of writing resources. And one of the things that you might not know, because I didn't know this, was that there are basically two groups of grammar advice people. And depending on which group the grammar advisee, or in this case, like an author, podcaster, YouTuber, uh, the group that that person is in is really going to affect the advice that they give you. And I want you to understand that because when you're gathering all of the different advice, uh, including this podcast, you're going to have to make certain decisions. And so today we're going to talk about dun, 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 descriptivism and prescriptivism. <laughs> I mean, uh, couldn't they come up with better words, especially prescriptivists? I don't understand you guys. Um, I'm going to explain why that's like ironic that their names are so long in a minute. Um, but I want to say that today's episode is based partially on Making Peace in the Language Wars, which is an essay by Brian A. Garner, who also happens to be the writer, uh, the author, the creator of Garner's Modern English Usage, which is a pretty handy book in this writer's opinion. Uh, but before we get all into that, I need to make a correction from the previous episode where I talked about the Expanse series by James S.A. Corey, and I talked about the most recent book, which I said was Tiamath's Wrath, but there's no H in the word Tiamath, so it's not Tiamath, it's Tiamath's Wrath, and I'm sure there's some amazing reason why it's called that. Uh, if you know it, I would love to hear. You can email me at kristin.n.spencer at gmail.com. Or you can email me at contact at literarysymmetry.com. So, yeah, those are, those are emails. You can, you can send to me the information of why Tiamat's Wrath is a really cool name for the last book. But, you know, just uh, we all make mistakes, you guys. <laughs> oh, see, I just said you guys again. We all make mistakes, and so 
wonderful writers, please forgive that mistake that I made. And I will always just be super upfront with you when I'm like, hey, I got that super wrong. I'm, I'm just going to tell you. That's who I am. That's how I am. And hopefully you like that because I'm not changing that about myself. So back to making peace in the language wars. So I went ahead and looked on Amazon.com, which you could say it's evil. You could say it's not evil. I am going to stay like Switzerland on this issue for the moment. At some point, I will talk about my opinions about Amazon, but not in this episode. So you can find part of the essay, Making Peace in the Language Wars, at the beginning of Garner's Modern English Usage. Or, and I'm not saying that this is like correct as far as copywriting, whatever you find, I can't vouch for it personally. But if you Google Making Peace in the Language Wars by Brian A. Garner, you're probably going to find it. You're going to see the whole essay. And you won't have to guess what the beginning of it said because on the Amazon preview one, the first page is the first page seems to be missing. I mean, it could be more it could be more than one page, but part of it is definitely missing. So what he talks about in that essay, and it's of course super well written, right? Because it's Brian A. Garner, and he's like he's one of the quintessential experts on language in our present age. So, of course, it's super well-written, well and it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's clever, and it's all the things you would want. Um, but it is actually a really great resource if you're just learning about the crazy world of writing that you've entered. Welcome. I will be your guide for today, at least. And when I read it, I had to read it for my copy editing certificate program, but I was like, wait, what? That's literally what I... That was my my reaction because I didn't understand. First of all, I didn't understand why Brian Garner was so mad at Steven Pinker, who wrote The Sense of Style. Um, okay. I just, like, went out of my office to my bookshelf because my office is super tiny. I don't have all my books in here. So I went and got The Sense of Style by Steven Pinker. And after the TMAT, TMAT's wrath thing, you know, I'm not taking any more chances. So this is uh, a wonderful book. The, this, the subtitle is The Thinking Person's Guide to Writing in the 21st Century. And so my one of my earlier classes, I had to read The Sense of Style. And I was like, yes, Steven Pinker, you are awesome. But then I was I was reading... I was reading Making Peace in the Language Wars by Brian A. Garner, and I was like, dude, why is he so mad at Steven Pinker? And to be fair, okay, the the book that he criticizes of Steven Pinker's is older than The Sense of Style. So I haven't read it. Maybe some things have changed. But I realized, like, oh, there's two groups, and Brian and Steven are in different groups, you guys. See, I did it again. I'm trying not to. I'm really trying not to. And so I had not ever heard about prescriptivism or descriptivism. And Garner says, he's like, can't I just say prescribers and describers? And I feel like I'm just going to answer on behalf of all the people who read your paper, Mr. Garner. I'm going to say yes. Let's just do that. 
because the other words have too many syllables. There are way too many syllables and it makes things confusing and they sound almost exactly alike. So we're gonna do prescribers and describers. Okay, and so what you need to know, my wonderful writer, is that prescribers, uh, AKA grammar Nazis, AKA more of the group that I personally am in, they want efficiency in language use. They advocate for careful use of language. And they want, they're interested in how you can communicate in the most effective way, in the most simple way, uh, how you can write so that the reader understands what you're saying without having to do any kind of mind acrobatics, okay? So um, prescribers are not perfect, all right? They can be obnoxious also. I mean, describers also can be obnoxious, but so prescribers can be those annoying people who correct you when you're speaking. And let me just say, I'll say this again, I'm sure lots of times, when you correct someone who's speaking English, that's rude. That is not okay. I don't do that. I know a lot of people will be like, oh no, you're a copy editor. I have to be careful what I say around you. No, you don't because I try to be a nice person. And it, it, like when someone corrects me when I'm speaking or like even if I'm typing on Facebook, you know, Facebook is, I, I'm not going to do that. I won't go all into all the things that Facebook is, but I will say that Facebook is set up for simple communication, not for like academic style dialoguing. So when you correct someone who is casually talking on Facebook, you look like a jerk. So please don't do that. And, you know, if you want to message someone and be like, hey, just so you know, the difference between your and your apostrophe RE is this, you could do that, but you're still probably going to seem like a jerk. So if someone is not like submitting written work for you to critique, don't critique it because it makes you look mean and you're not mean, right? You don't want to be mean. I mean, I want to believe that you are also a cool, chill nice person because you're listening to this podcast about how to spend yourself to benefit your readers. So just don't be like the grammar Nazi. If you see a printed sign that has grammar mistakes and you want to comment on it, that is complete and utter fair game. Do it. That is embarrassing. They should have hired a copywriter or a copy editor or some kind of language knowledgeable person to check that stuff because... It's in the public. All right. That was like a total tangent about language etiquette. Okay, so so prescriptivists can be those people that are like, you use there wrong, or uh, your possessive apostrophe is wrong in this case. Like when you're chatting, you know, on Twitter or you're Instagramming or whatever, any kind of casual thing. So prescriptivists can be jerks. All right? So I'm not saying that prescriptivists prescribers are naturally nice people. I consider myself to be more in the pres- prescriber camp and I'll explain why, but uh, don't, don't be like that. Okay, descriptivists, describers, the other guys. So Garner in his paper straight out calls these guys out because their approach is coming from a linguistic perspective. Uh, Describers in general 
are really interested in spoken language, and that is different than written communication. And so their opinion is that if the person who's doing it is like a native, so example, for example, if I'm saying things wrong according to the prescribers, and I'm nat- I'm a native English speaker, the describers would say, no, that's not wrong, because she's a native user and she can use language however she wants. And also that applies to writing. And that's where I'm like, pump the bricks. What do you mean that disc- that applies to writing? Because when you're talking with someone and you say something that's confusing, you know what the magical thing you can do that you can't do when you're writing is you can clarify. You can say, okay, I see that like weird arch of your eyebrow right now and I know that means you're confused. So let me restate what I just said in a way that's more clear to you. And when you're writing, you absolutely cannot ever never do that. You can't understand how your reader is confused in that instant. So you work really hard to work out all the confusion before it gets to your reader. And that's where prescribers come in. They're like, listen, we can't, we cannot treat written language like spoken language. Because when you're speaking to someone in real time, like on the phone, face to face, whatever, you can make clarifications. But when you're writing, you can't. And that's something that I'm always an advocate for clear writing because you only get one shot with a reader. Not like one shot per book. One shot ever are they going to give you their attention and their money. So if you confuse them, they're not coming back. So you don't have the chances that the describers want to make you think you have. And that's why I am not a describer. I, I am like mostly prescriber with some describer tendencies because I do acknowledge the fact that language changes over time. And sometimes the guides that we have or the style, the style guides, you know, they're not quick to change because they want to make sure that the changes have lasting power because publishing giant books like the Chicago Manual of Style is super expensive and they can't just like do it, you know, every year come out with a new one. So they want to make sure that there's lasting power, but also they do annoying things like say, yes, singular they sounds good. And then come back and say, no, you shouldn't really do that, though, because it might be confusing. And the singular they is coming. Like, that's my that's my uh, describer side where I'm like, that is completely uh, inclusive for people who identify as non-binary. So, yes, let's just do that. And we can figure out if it's singular or plural, given the context. Like, I think I trust readers to do that. I trust readers to understand that context is important. But because of things like that, I'm like, well, I guess I'm a tiny bit, uh, a tiny bit of a describer. And so I just want you to know that Garner's Modern English Usage is a good book. And also... I just picked up the book. You can't see me. I don't know why I did that. But The Sense of Style by Steven Pinker is also a good book. And there are some things that Steven Pinker calls out that a lot of uh, prescribers do that aren't real rules that are super helpful. Like the whole 
last third of the book, uh, Stephen, Dr. Pinker, I believe it is, um, goes through all these things. Can you hear me turning the pages? Is that a cool sound in your ear? I wish you could smell it too. It smells really good. Um, so it's really helpful because there are things that people will tell you, oh, you can't do that. Like, I'll give an example. A split infinitive. It's when you're like, uh, you know, uh, I'll use a sci-fi reference because I'm a sci-fi girl, a sci-fi nerd and a sci-fi writer, and to boldly go, right? So prescriptivists would be like, no, we're shutting that down. It should be to go boldly. But why? Like, explain to me why it's not okay to say it the super cool way that I said it first. And do you know what their explanation would be? It would be a lame one because they would say, well, in Latin, those words are one word together. And if you split it apart, then that's not cool. And I would be like, you know what? English is not Latin. Like, it's so clearly not Latin. And that rule is so clearly based on a weird Latin obsession that you have that I'm going to ignore it. And I'm going to say to boldly go where no man has gone before. I, I couldn't help myself. So there is, there are rules that are not actually rules. I'm going to do probably, I don't know, I want to say like 10 episodes on that. I'll just pick the top 10 because there are a lot. And I'll go through them with you. Um, I'm also making like a supplement for one of my courses that is free and it's called Rules That Aren't Rules. And so if you're ever taking one of my courses, you'll get that for free. Um, so I, I'm going to say you should read Making Peace with the Language Wars by Brian Garner for yourself. Because that way you'll know about both groups. You'll know what each group offers. And you will be able to collect the tools for your storytelling tool belt that you need. So you can get advice from different sources. You don't need to be like, I'm only going to read prescribers' books. Or I'm only going to read describers' books. And I'm only going to use those tools. No, don't do that. You need like all the tools, right? All the good tools, not the lame tools like the split infinitive tool. You can just throw that in the trash. Um, so don't limit yourself because a bunch of scholars get together and argue about this stuff. And on that note, I want to tell you why I, Kristen N. Spencer, identify myself as mostly a prescriber with like a little bit of describer rebellion inside of me. Okay, so I was talking to Maria. You guys remember her, right, from episode one where I talked about her a lot. And then later on she listened to it and she was like, hey, so I listened to the episode and I was like, yeah, I talked about you a lot. And she said, yeah, you really did. And I was like, I hope that's okay. And she's like, yeah, it's fine. So, you know, no big deal. But so I was talking to her and she was like, man, this plot formula that you are teaching is complicated and it makes me sad and not want to write anymore. And I was like, what? No, I don't. That's not, that's, but the opposite I want. Like, that's not what I want to hear you say that. <laughs> that makes me really sad. And then I said something to her, and she was like, wait, stop. Whatever you just said, go write it down, and I'm going to read it. Because I did what she said, and I wrote it down. 
And it, what I wrote was, you should see rules as liberation instead of captivity. They help you create stories a reader can understand. And she was like, I never thought about it like that. And I was like, I didn't know I was going to say that or have that like light bulb moment. But as a copy editor and as a writer, but mostly like my copy editing side kind of takes over in this area. The goal is to help authors write clearly using grammar rules so that the reader can understand the best, easiest way. Like, we have these rules to help make communication easier, not to make you feel restricted as an artist. And when you think about the rules as a restriction, you get stuck. And you're like, I don't know what I can and can't do with this participle here. Or should I make a gerund? I, I don't know. And maybe you don't know what a gerund is, and that's okay. And eventually you'll know, because I'll tell you. But when you are writing and you are paying attention to grammar, you're following a set of rules that was created so that the reader can understand all the awesome ideas you have and all the awesome stories you have. And when editors use style guides, they're doing it so that there's a consistency there. There's a basis for the words and the language and the story that the reader can say, okay, this is this way. And I know that if this is this way, then this means this. So it's like a really cool code, a secret code, if you will, that's not so secret, between writers and readers that helps them communicate with each other and understand each other. And if that doesn't make you feel super excited, I mean, try to go try to read a book that doesn't employ grammar. Are you going to have a good reading experience? No, because you're going to be confused. That is why we need grammar. And that is also why we need copy editors. And I'm not being self-serving when I say that. Obviously, I'm up front with you, wonderful writer, that I am a copy editor. And that I help authors make dope books. I know, like, that using the word dope really dates me. I've already told you I'm 36. I'm still 36. I haven't gotten any younger since the last time we talked. I want you to think about why grammar is important. I remember that when I first started writing Newfangled, which was my first fictional book, please don't go read it. I have not... I have not updated it. It's still in its, like, original baby book version. I would just delete it off of everything, but there is, like, a really small yet dedicated group of people who really love Olive and her story, despite my mangling of language. And so I leave it up for them. But please don't don't go read Newfangle and be like, I see what you meant, Kristen. This is awful. Because I already know it's awful, and that's mean. Remember how we talked about we don't want to be mean earlier? how we don't want to correct people on Facebook when they're talking, like, conversationally. So I was writing Newfangled, and it's a pretty comp- – I, I don't know. What's wrong with me where I'm like, I'm going to do this super ambitious book is my first book where I'm going to go and shadow this sixth grader, and she has all these classes and all these relationships and all these places she goes. And so I was, like, trying to figure out how on earth – to do all of the things to communicate to the reader what was happening. And a lot of times I would get stuck. 
And I would think, I can't write this because I don't know how to do it in the right way. Like, I don't know how to use dialogue tags. I don't know how to show inner monologue. I can head hop between characters without telling the reader, right? And that's okay. So I didn't understand that there were established methods for doing certain things. And now when I write, because I know almost all of the methods, I know a lot of stuff that my professors have shoved in my brain over the last year, not as a writer, but as a copy editor. And so I can sit there and I can do whatever I want because I know how to do it in a way that the reader will understand. And I can break the rules when I want and figure out some cool new way of communicating something to the reader. Like in one of my books, they have these wrist terminals, which is like basically stolen from the Expanse series. I don't call them wrist terminals, but okay. You know, like sci-fi things, they have little clear screens everywhere and the screens have words, okay? So that's what happened. And I was like, how on earth am I going to show? Like, I can't just use a dialogue tag because that's not going to show the reader that they're reading this thing, this message off of a screen. And if I just use traditional screenwriting uh, dialogue instruction, which is basically like my name, right? And then a colon and then whatever I'm going to say. And then like your name and then a colon then whatever you're going to say. So I was like, I can't just do that um, because it's still not going to communicate that, hey, this is like a message on that wrist screen thingy. So I figured out a new way to do it. I think it was really successful. And I, I've seen other authors do this type of thing. But you know what? The authors who are able to come up with new ideas and like break rules in a good way, they know the rules. And I cannot tell you how empowering it is that I am able to sit down and communicate whatever I want to the reader. There is nothing that feels like that if you're a writer. I mean, I'm not saying it's like the best feeling in the world, right? I'm not saying it's like one of my kids' hugs worth of amazingness. I mean, maybe it is. I don't want to compare, okay? But it is awesome. It is the coolest thing And I want that for you. And that's why I'm telling you, don't give up on grammar. Don't think that grammar is not important. If you're really like starting out and you feel super overwhelmed, I would not go for Garner's Modern English Usage first. That's like a later book that you can actually also use to defend yourself against enemies because it weighs. It's like it's so huge. It's such a big book. It's even bigger than the Chicago Manual of Style. That's how big it is. And I just, you heard my voice go a little far away. I was looking at, because I have it up on my shelf. So it's right next to CMOS, which is another name for, it's like the abbreviated name for the Chicago Manual of Style. So it's a big book. It's super intimidating. Don't get that first. I would, I would recommend The Sense of Style by Steven Pinker. Read it and keep in mind that he is a describer. Just keep that at the back of your head, like that he is of the opinion that rules are not that important sometimes, but he does a really good job of explaining how the human brain takes phrases and holds them and how you can help the reader understand your writing in a more clear way. And he also, like I said, goes through the last third of the book 
and tells you all the rules that aren't actually rules. So my reading recommendation for you, my wonderful writer, is The Sense of Style, The Thinking Person's Guide to Writing in the 21st Century by Steven Pinker, but knowing that he's a describer and that what he wrote in The Language Instinct, which is another one of his books, like really made Brian Garner mad. So that's all I'm going to leave you with today, that grammar matters and that you can learn it. Remember, writing is a trade and you don't want to be a writer anyway. You want to be a storyteller. So you're learning these things so you can tell your amazing story because the world needs your story and your story matters. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. Happy writing.